Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Shea Anything Podcast. Yay. Doug Williams alongside Andy Martino on another Monday afternoon. I am very glad this mm-hmm. week that we're doing it on Monday. Why? Because a lot happened over the weekend? Yeah. You but mean not like... only that... Go ahead. I didn't mean Not that. only that a lot happened, but a very Shea Anything thing happened. Are you talking about the battle for Winterfell? Not talking about the battle uh, for Winterfell. You know who's annoying me right now? Who? Khaleesi. She's on my last nerve. Let's talk about a millennial sense of entitlement on that one. Yeah, she. and by the way... So who said you could... Arya's, like, doing the thing the whole time, and, and oh, my queen is just out there just like, I am, I'm entitled to the Iron Throne. Like, do something then. Yeah, I, I don't want to go she deep annoys on me. on this podcast because me neither. it would bother me if I didn't... I didn't give a spoiler. It. I was very careful. Yeah. But, like, she, that, that woman annoys me. And I used to like her. Yeah, I know. I think you're supposed to be in that place right now, though, for some sort of redemption. Well, I hope she doesn't get it. The whole thing felt like a buildup to one outcome, and now I don't want that outcome. Um, Is that what you were referring no, to? It, it really could not be further away. God, she bothers me now. To. We have talked a lot about um, your opinion or something that you, uh, I don't know, you don't diagnosed know this Mets team with. Earlier in the season. Oh, I do know where you're going with this. Um, and this was um, Travis Darno was the first casualty of what you've been saying about this team since the start of the year, where mm-hmm. uh, the Mets' offense is legit. Can the pitching hold up? Okay. And the reason I think Travis Darno is a consequence of exactly that is that the Mets are scoring runs. Mm-hmm. Wilson Ramos is out of the lineup. They're scoring runs. Mm-hmm. And the pitching staff has struggled. And I think if Darno's bat was important to the Mets, mm-hmm. and if the pitching staff hadn't struggled, he'd still be a Met. But I think... Well, he had two hits, though, so even if his bat was important... Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That adds to it as well. But I'm just saying that he was insignificant. We went into the year thinking that when Wilson Ramos is going to be the Mets' cleanup hitter or five hitter in the lineup, is on the bench, the Mets are going to want a replacement-level bat no, like Travis Darnot. Like yes. I think what you mean is uh, some, a, a starting level. Yes. Yeah. They're going to want Darno's bat to come in and replace it so there's not a huge drop-off with a key right. member of your lineup. And given the fact that, like you just pointed out, Darno wasn't that, and given the fact that even when Ramos is out of the lineup, the Mets are scoring runs because they got these guys, McNeil, Alonzo, coming out of nowhere, J.D. Davis – who are having huge seasons already, it has just become clear that they can rely on the backup catcher role as a defense first position. And I think they swallowed the money and are willing to move forward with that. I think that's part of it. I think there's a lot of ways to look at it. One way to look at it that's less favorable to the Mets is probably uh, that they didn't give him. And I think there was some feeling about this in the Mets clubhouse. So you got a guy who missed a year and didn't get a whole lot of rope to prove that he had anything left. He missed a whole year. And that's all the time you're going to give him? I'm not saying that I agree. I think that they were in a tricky position with Darno. I agree with the point that you made that they had some latitude to cut him because they have other players who are succeeding. But um, they were in a tricky position with him because of the timing of his return, where he, they didn't get a, a full look at him in spring training. And they didn't cut him to save most of that 3.1, 3.2, 3.3, 3.4, 3.5, 3.6, 3.7, 3.8, 3.9, 3.10, 3.11, 3.12, 3.13, 3.14, 3.15, 3.16, 3.17, 3
3.015 or 1.10, you know, about 3 million uh, on him. This is one of those situations where I think the Mets kind of get criticized either way in this scenario. Because if they cut their nose to save the money before season open people are going oh the Mets are cheap it's three million bucks you're going to get rid of Travis right. Darn over three million bucks but since they kept him now it's like well what you didn't think he was going to suck he's always sucked why did you spend the three million so they kind of get caught. well that's a different argument than the one you're making though I'm not really making an argument. I'm just well, the, of, the first thing you said was just about how Darno didn't get a chance that's one argument to, to not struggle he didn't get a right. chance to actually get going I think some players felt that way some teammates okay so but here's the problem if that was going to be his role, wasn't it clear that whether he's coming off a year off or not, he was just struggling in that backup role getting sporadic playing time? One could argue that he didn't get enough time to be deemed, like, to have that conclusion reached. One could also argue that he was so bad that it was time. Those are the two sides of it. Okay. So, do did you... Those are two very different points when, of view. I know. But when the Mets made the decision to make him the backup catcher, mm-hmm. uh, can I ask you a combination of, did you agree with that, slash, was that what you expected to happen? I think, yeah, I think I agree with it based on the situation that they had coming out of spring training where Mesoraco didn't look good to them. They weren't interested in having him on the team. Uh, Nito was going to be in the organization for years to come, so go ahead and put him in Syracuse for a little bit. See what Darno has. So sure, yeah, I'm, I've actually always been a believer in Travis Darno's offensive talent. So uh, I, I, I guess give it, giving it one more shot after uh, spring training. Why not? And after his injury, why not? Now the question is, did they give him a long enough shot? Right. I've talked to people. I think that's fair. I've talked to people in the past 24 hours who say that they did, and people who say that they didn't. It's a matter of opinion. Can we uh, hammer home some stuff on Devin Mesoraco? Because sure. I think there is some fans are like, "Screw him! He retired. He didn't just report to Syracuse." Some fans are like, "This makes the Mets look bad for not just putting Degrom's favorite catcher on the team now. Degrom's struggling." Wasn't there a, a consensus among evaluators, both mm-hmm. in the Mets organization and outside the Mets organization, that that guy was not a major league catcher anymore? I don't know about consensus, but I know that the Mets took a, a look at him in spring and felt like defensively he wasn't someone who was major league ready anymore or major league capable anymore. He, and, and that jives with the trajectory he was on when the Mets acquired him. I remember asking a Reds person who I know, Give me the scouting report on where Mesoraco's at. And it's like, well, unfortunately, he's had so many injuries that he doesn't move side to side very well anymore. He doesn't mm-hmm. block very well anymore. He doesn't throw very well anymore. Uh, so then, obviously, the thing he did well was whatever he was, whatever juju he had with Wheeler and, and DeGrom last year that they liked in terms of the actual calling of the game, uh, which is why the Mets brought him back. Wheeler and DeGrom were personally lobbying the general manager to sign Mesoraco. So, so they brought him in. And then they, they looked at him and they said, I don't think this is going to work. I can't give you, look, I, I, that's what they felt is all I can say. I'm not a good enough evaluator to say that when I was watching him catch a bullpen that I saw it one right. way or the other, uh, but that's what they thought. Well, so, okay, move forward to Darno. By the There's way, also, sorry, just to close loop on Mesoraco, yeah. he's not coming back after the DFA. Okay. There's a spot, a, a more of a spot for him now. So I checked in with his agent. I was told, nope. Still in Pittsburgh, no plans to come back. There's two sides of 
the Darno thing too. There are the people like our friend Adam Fisher who are quick to point out that his framing is good, that he's not as bad a defensive catcher as maybe it looks like when you've seen him in mm -hmm. the past struggle throwing runners out, etc. The other side of it is, and this is where I happen to be, that Darno, it seems like consistently at times in his career, has just not fully clicked with the pitchers. No, for and sure. That, that is almost easier for me to see just for the, the blind eye watching the game. You mean when DeGrom's shaking, shaking, shaking? Yeah, it, that, yeah. that is just that's easier for me to notice yeah. than his framing because yeah. most catchers in Major League Baseball nowadays are good at framing, at least from my perspective, maybe not the analytical framing. Yeah. So when I watch pitchers and catchers, I, I am just focused on whether they seem to be agreeing on the game plan. And Travis Darno always seemed to struggle with that part of the game. And let alone the, the, the fact that before he got Tommy John surgery, he was struggling throwing runners out too. So I did not agree with him breaking the camp as the backup catcher. If the Mets wanted three catchers, I was cool with that. Mm -hmm. Nito, Mezzarocco, whoever the third one would be, used Darno as really a bat. But I don't know. Where do you think the Mets ended up with Darno? Because clearly they, were, they loved some parts of his game for a long time. And yeah. they ended up DFAing him and losing $3 million because of it. Why did they DFA him, you're asking? Well, no, so I'm saying, do you think the Mets agree with the premise that he was not clicking with the pitchers? Seems so, yeah. Because they, they have eyes, too, and not only do they have eyes, but they have their own ways to find out how pitchers feel, I'm sure. And, and it's their job to stay on top of that stuff. And to, I thought it was clear that DeGrom and, and Darno didn't seem quite on the same page when he caught DeGrom this year. And, and uh, try, I think that was Darno's first start of the year was against DeGrom, or with, excuse me, with DeGrom. And uh, it didn't go particularly well. Now, DeGrom's got bigger issues than Travis Darno, obviously, but that didn't seem to click that well. He's never really had that reputation. It's so hard to come to one objective truth in something like this. I mean, Dan Worthen the ex-pitching, long-time pitching coach, used to crush Darno in the, in the meeting, pre-series meetings with the pitchers and catchers. And just brought, And some people used to think that Warden would blame Darno for everything that was wrong with the pitchers. And some people thought that he was right because Darno couldn't even frame. Even though the metrics said he could, they didn't see it. And so Dan would call a lot of pitches from the bench on Josh Tolley and Darno and, and catchers through the years. And maybe... If you're coming up and you're DeGrom and Syndergaard and you're coming up under Warthin and, and you're hearing him, um, I was about to say a bad word, if you're hearing him trash Darno in the meetings for years, maybe you're never going to respect him. I don't know. Maybe it's, I'm not blaming Warthin. I think maybe, I think Dan's a really good evaluator and maybe he was just right. But this stuff, he's been, Travis has been with the organization a long time and sometimes these things are hard to untangle. You've quoted the, the story from Travis talking about the, Great. I don't have to go to any more meetings. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, right. When he, when he I, right, we told this at that Queen, Queens baseball convention. When, when Darno, when Ploiecki was coming up and the Mets absolutely knew that one of those two guys was going to be their catcher of the future and Ploiecki was on his way and Darno was already a little bit established, I asked Terry Collins, no, excuse me, Terry Collins asked me to write about a, uh, the possibility of Darno moving to left field for the, the next year. And I asked Darno about it, and he said, he thought about it for a second, and he said, wow, if I was a left fielder, I wouldn't have to go to all those meetings. Maybe it was because he wanted to yell at by the yeah. pitching coach well, anymore. Those two points you just yeah. made seem to be connected. They do connect. Look, I'm, I'm not 
I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm just saying, who knows? You talk to Adam Fisher, who knows what he's talking about. You get one read on Darnell's defense. You talk to Dan Warren, then you get a dramatically different read. It just goes to show that there's no single truth in these matters. What do you think of you know the most simplistic opinion of the Met fan out there who thinks Jacob deGrom is their most important player? I think that that's a very valid argument to make. And whichever catcher he preferred, and uh, it was a decent defensive catcher in their opinion, and Devin Mezzarocco should have been the backup catcher. Do you think that that is not looking at the big picture enough if you're the Mets? You mean? Just picking DeGrom's guy. Well, so you're asking me if they were right to not do that just because? I'm asking if there are fans out there who say to pick anything other than Jacob DeGrom's yeah, favorite but, catcher. Yeah, but they didn't feel like he... I know you're not arguing this point, but if they looked at Devin Mezzarocco in spring and felt like he couldn't play anymore, of course you can't carry him on a 25-man roster just because Jacob DeGrom and Zach Wheeler like throwing to him. Sorry. You know, that's just that, that's how they have to evaluate their own players. I don't know if they made a good evaluation or not, but I do know that when Mezzarocco had the, had the opportunity via the opt-out and the upward mobility clause in his contract to sign with any other 29 teams, no one picked him up, so that tells you that there were 29 teams with scouts in Port St. Lucie at one point or another who didn't feel that Devin Mezzarocco belonged as their backup catcher. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's very telling. I just think it's interesting to, to go through all the different ways this could have played out. It's all very now, subjective. Now that we've gotten to where we are, which is kind of an interesting place because Darno's been on this team for a long time. Um, and, you know, I was, people were tweeting out highlights of him hitting home runs in the playoffs. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's been through this, uh, through a lot in a couple years with this team. What this now, I, I don't think this conversation has must, much to do with Wilson Ramos. I mean, he's just so It would be nice if he could hit, hit this year, though. Well, so that's why I'm, yeah. I'm kind of going towards that here. So Wilson Ramos has not hit much, um, definitely has not hit much for power. Defensively, too, he's struggling with throwing runners out. Do you think there is any uh, worry yet within the Mets organization about his play? I haven't picked up on any. Um, but honestly, that's not to say that there isn't some privately. Look, they made a lot of choices. It's very tough to make a clear-eyed choice when you're selecting players, right? Like they're in a negotiation with Ramos and they're in a negotiation with Yasmani Grandal at the same time in the weekend coming out of the winter meetings, and Ramos is the one that landed. So you just hope that that works out, and it's too soon to say that it's not working out, but you could have signed Grandall, and Grandall could have been off to a bad start. He's off to a pretty good start. We saw him over the weekend, but you know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, you sign the guy that you agree to terms with, and then right. you hope he plays well. So that's what, that's where they were, and they felt like two years on, on Ramos was better than the three or four that Grandall was still seeking at that time, although he ended up signing a one-year deal with Milwaukee. It, it's just hard to say... And are they worried going forward? I think Ramos has got too good a track record in his past to say that a bad month tells you much and tells you much about whether you should worry. But that slugging percentage doesn't go up over the next month and then we're into the middle part of the season a little bit more. Yeah, sure. Well, this may be a stretch, but, you know, if Ramos really starts to struggle, Darno was your only backup catcher option who has had success starting in any capacity. And that's what one of the reasons they wanted to keep him. Right. 
And, you know, I'm not, I don't think, I think Ramos would have to struggle for a really long time to ever lose the starting job, just given the fact that he was just given a lot of money and he has the track record. But, you know, Tomas Nito is a good defensive catcher and a good backup catcher, but I don't think the Mets view him as the starter. You said earlier this this season, he is the backup catcher of the future, which is... Sounds great, but also really unglamorous. Yes, at the same but they time. see that's that's they have a guy um, they like in that role, which is funny because for all these, all these different things that have happened that we're discussing with this one position, they're all they are is back to where they were, or or, or have remained basically that their basic focus has been, Ramos is the guy for the next two years and Nito is the backup for a while, and that's where we are, right? And that's where they were in in December, January. Devin Mazzarocco or not? Well, back to the Mets offense is legit. Can the pitching hold up the other end of the bargain? Um, DeGrom and Syndergaard. Right. So far, they are um, really struggling. And Mats has been solid ever since, you know, that really bad start and really other than that really bad start where he didn't get an out. Uh, Zach Wheeler's been really rock solid his last couple outings. DeGrom and Syndergaard are struggling, and this no longer is, because of Mattson Wheeler, like I just mentioned, Mm -hmm. a rotation-wide conversation. This is really a one-and-two conversation. Yeah, which is better than a one-through-five conversation, or one-through-four. Maybe, maybe, but, you know, at least if you're having a one-through-five are struggling conversation, Uh you're like, well, Vargas is Vargas, Mats is inconsistent. Right. You're not going anywhere if these two guys don't get better. Yeah, And, and, and I think that it's it's worthwhile to go through both of them, Andy. I have and some research right here about yes, those gentlemen. Yes, I know you do. So let's start with DeGrom. Um, John Harper continues to think that there's something more to this. Um, Injury-wise? No, uh, pitch-tipping-wise. There's some reason why they're ready for the change-ups, ready for the— Harp is convinced that he's tipping. Yes. Interesting. And— he also agrees with you, though, that there's a certain amount of lack of velocity dip between the slider and the fastball. I don't know. W- what is your research telling you? Well, look, I just think there's a couple different ways you could look at this. There's a statistical case that says pretty clearly that both of these guys are going to get better, and they're going to get better sooner than later. I just, and I'm, I don't, you don't have to be a baseball insider to look at fan graphs, but I've gone to the, gone ahead to the trouble of doing this for our listeners. But just some of the stuff, like, uh, I'm looking at Syndergaard first. A, a lot of his peripheral, his ERA is, is obviously terrible right now. It's around six. His peripherals are right in line with his career norms. His, uh, his K rate, uh, 27% for career, 26.4 in 2019. Uh, the BABIP right now is high, indicating that he's a little Getting unlucky. Lucky. 376 BABIP compared to 329 career. His hard contact is a little bit higher right now, 29.6% hard contact for 2019 versus 25.5% career. That could explain the BABIP, obviously. The harder they hit it, the more likely it is probably to find a hole or get through or avoid someone's glove. His ex-fip right now is 3.59, which is a long way from 6, which is his actual ERA. Uh, His career ex-fip is 2.95. So you're looking at those. If you were looking at Noah Syndergaard, um, if you're sitting in Timbuktu or or Cleveland and and only have access to the internet and yep. don't go to the games, only two options. Right, those are the only two places. Right, where where yep. one wouldn't. Uh, you would say clearly this is a course correction waiting to happen, and this guy is going to be better. However, there's a human aspect that I think is a little bit more pessimistic, and this is where you do need to be a baseball insider because I because I think that 
clearly, Insider. and having watched this guy since the minor leagues, he, he's he's not confident right now. Mm -hmm. He hasn't. I've, I talked to him, not la just last week, and just he said like, and it wasn't an excuse making way. It was in like an earnest kind of searching way. He said, well, in Philly it was so windy that I was almost going to blow over, so I didn't feel right that night. In St. Louis, uh, no, you know, I had a fever and I had that Met flu and, and decided to pitch anyway. And he's just, so he's basically saying like. There's like been something wrong each time, mm -hmm. and I just don't feel right. And his his answers, and I really do give him credit for searching for this publicly rather than giving these canned answers. But he's saying, what do you say? I feel like I'm throwing ice balls or something. He said so, the ball feels like an ice cube, which I think has something to do with obviously the cold temperatures, yeah. but also he just he's doesn't have a feel right now. And and I don't know if that's a dig at the actual baseball or not. You know, because there's been some conversation about. Very yeah, I don't ball think that year. was it. Maybe not. And so, anyway, he's like clearly in a place mentally where he's like, oh, what's going on? I mean, you know, okay, this one's okay because it was windy. But wait a minute, this one I had the flu. But, you know, it just feels like a guy who's like searching for the answers. And is he, he says he trusts his talent, and I'm sure he does. And uh, I just, he doesn't seem... Um, all that confident right now. Well, yeah. And, and, and so that is somewhat counter to the numbers that I just read off to you. And, and we've seen starting pitcher in the past with great stuff, a, a, a years of success, and then suddenly not be good anymore and still after starts be like, no, I saw positives in Matt Harvey. Like Matt mm -hmm. Harvey, when he started to struggle – after games was still like, yeah, in that fifth inning, I, I struck out two guys. That's really, And was like, well, Matt, you gave up six runs. Yeah, Syndergaard doesn't really do that, does no, he? No, he doesn't. Yeah. He, he, Syndergaard is almost, at times last year, look at the stats. I mean, his numbers were still good. He was almost um, too hard on himself, mm -hmm. it would seem. I'm lost. I, I'm not the pitcher I want to be, saying things of that nature. Now, the one thing is that, and the reason I brought up Harvey's name, I mean, Syndergaard has a 1.471 whip. So even with all the stats That's you not just good. said, no, he's he has a lot of base runners, and he gave up double digits in hits this weekend. You know, so but that I'm sorry, like but it, the Babbitt, for example, would would impact your whip. The Babbitt would. So I hear you. He's not pitching well. So I'm not trying to sit here and make a case that he is pitching well. I'm sitting here making a case that one level deeper statistically tells you that he's there are predictors that say that it could get better. It's not like, oh, my God, those peripherals are terrible. But what I – and I, I don't know if this is a thing yet. I don't know if anyone is thinking about this other than, than me. But when I start to see a starting pitcher, especially one with the Mets – I dropped my pen. You dropped your pen. Go on. Um, when I start to see a starting pitcher who's had great success young in their – you know, early on in their career as a young pitcher, and then suddenly it drops off – I it get, it brings Matt Harvey back into my brain because it's the stuff with Harvey. Even when he got back from the thoracic outlet, we kept saying, "Wow, you know, he's hitting 95, 96." Syndergaard's stuff is still good. We always say that, like the stuff's there. Yeah, but the results are poor. So, like, at what point are we supposed to believe that even after last year, when he was more hittable than he's ever been, he'll figure it out? This is starting to feel more like a trend and less like a slump. I got a question. Here's a, here's a sports discussion question for you that just popped into my mind. If neither Matt Harvey nor Noah Syndergaard throws another pitch, let's just say they both went into a mutual retirement pact tomorrow and uh, started a company together, start a tech startup, but they didn't play baseball anymore, who had a better career? Uh, very similar, 
I would say that Harvey was more dominant at his. He started place. an All Star game. Yes. Okay. I don't but, know. But you know, feel... Noah Syndergaard has, you know, Harvey had that game five start that ended up being almost tainted by the fact that he went back out there. Almost tainted. It was tainted, but I'm saying almost because he was great. Mm-hmm. Um, Noah Syndergaard was spectacular in the wild card game. So they both have these really high-profile, great performances. They both have years of good stuff. I don't have both of their baseball reference pages in front of me, but certainly similar careers. I think that if... I think he, By the way, part of this discussion, though, and it's a great question, Matt Harvey's been a really bad pitcher now for like the four bad, years. The bad time has been extensive. Yes. Uh, and this stuff was never the same after the Tommy John. He, had a, he was a horse that year that he came back in 15. But it, he was a different pitcher. He, he, he was very good for them, but it wasn't that dazzling stuff that he had before the Tommy John. And that was pre-thoracic outlet. I also think that in the tech startup, I was thinking about this, <laughs> Noah's the one with, like, the idea. And Harvey's going to be, like, the guy who's trying to schmooze the sales investors, man. the sales. Yeah. I, so I don't know what their innovation would be, but I think that's how the responsibilities would break down. I don't think that they should do it now. They, uh, I don't want to tell them both to quit their jobs and leave baseball. Well, you know, Harvey made $11 million in seed money this year. That's true. This is all investment with the, money. With the Anaheim Angels. Los um, Angeles Angels. But by the way, you know, Noah Syndergaard still has an insane career ERA. I think it's 3.14. Matt Harvey's 3.91, and it continues it's lower to go than you up. would think. Yeah, it is. Given but that's the thing. He, he never put up an insane amount of wins, Harvey. You know, Harvey won 13 games in 2015. He was really good that mm-hmm. year. Obviously missed 2014 with Tommy John. But in 2013 and 2012, you know, just really dominant, even though the, yeah. the sample size isn't huge. How many times do you think Matt Harvey's made 30 starts in a season, if you had to guess? Once in 15. That's my guess. Incorrect. <laughs> once in 2018, which is what? so backwards. He made 20, now, granted, Andy, he made 29. I guess it was, he made 29 in yeah, 2015. Yeah, he, he kept taking the ball for the Reds every fifth day. That, it's just, that's true. I, that's just a strange stat. How that many is, starts did he make in 15? He made 29. 26 okay. right. in 2013. So it was close, formality. But uh, Noah Syndergaard, uh, same question. Do you know the answer to this? There's less of a sample size. I would say zero. He's made 31 starts once in 2016. Okay. So he crossed the line that year. I mean, look, really similar. If if that was the last time that he really was a, a top guy, results-wise, sixteen. Yeah, because game against Baumgartner in the in the division. Seventeen, series. he made Divi- seven uh, starts due to injury. Rather. Yeah. Um, Twenty eighteen, last year, again, like if you're not judging it from a, a close scope, like maybe. In 30 years, you'll look back at Noah Syndergaard's year in 2018 and be like, he went 13-4 and four with a 3 ERA. Oh, he had a great year. Last year did not feel like a great year. No, it just doesn't look or feel that way. Absolutely not. So, it's better, but, but that's not – but – Anyway, in, interesting conversation, and, and, but my point remains. I, I do – if Noah Syndergaard's career dropped off right now off a cliff, mm-hmm. he and Matt Harvey would have very similar baseball reference pages. Yes, <laughs> and that's – if they – the career trajectories feel very similar and very different at the same time. And that's an interesting comparison uh, that we have made. How lucky for our listeners. What Jake, else here's you got? an interesting stat about Jacob DeGrom, who also pitches for the Mets. Uh, which and is I having think, a better career than, which, yes, than both of them. Which I think is vital. Uh, 77.4% left on base percentage this year. 82% last year. 
talking to Jacob deGrom last year, at one point in the middle of his run, I said, what's the difference? Why are you so awesome, basically, now? Um, well, you were good before, but not on this level. And he, the first thing out of his mouth was better with runners on base, better with runners in scoring position, actually, I think is what he said. And, and I said, well, what, what is it? He says, really more just a mental adjustment. I'm basically pitching like there's two strikes whenever there's a runner in scoring position. So I'm like really, really locked in. Um, so that's not a huge, 77.4 to 82 is not a huge jump, but I just think given what he prioritized, it's meaningful that he's leaving uh, fewer runners on base. More runners, more base runners are scoring on him. He's stranding fewer base runners this year. I think that's one thing because it's important to him to look at. This guy's XFIP is 296 right now. That's very good. Uh, it doesn't feel good. We're watching the games. He's not pitching well. He's had such a weird year because you don't know how much of a factor the elbow has been. Uh, we're told the elbow's fine right now, but still. You don't know uh, exactly how much that's impacted his performance. And then the hard contact rate, holy mother of God, 26.6% in 2018, 47.5% this year. Hard contact. They are hitting the crap out of the ball against Jacob deGrom, like almost double of last year. And so far this Edwin year. Edwin Diaz is having the same thing, or was. I mean, he's it's straightened improved. it out. He's straightened it out. It has been straightened out, but... Um, you know, I, I I was watching Josh Hader pitch this weekend, and the, just this insane two innings against the Mets. I don't know if you saw. It was just like I'm looking at the radar gun, and I know Nelson's not here, but I'd like to ask him or even Todd, someone who's faced a 96 mile an hour fastball, like Hader's just mowing these guys down. Degrom, Wheeler, Syndergaard, all throwing 98 miles an hour this year. Why? Why is it that Jacob deGrom can get hit like that, but Josh Hader has thrown three miles an hour less, and no one can even touch him? Well, I, I just, I, I'm mind blown by clearly the hard hit rate hit, against Jacob deGrom. Clearly, batters can hit velocity. And now, I, I'm, this is where I become a reporter and not like a first generation analyst where I can sit here like Nelson and be like, well, you know, but the questions I would ask, uh, I think you're asking a good question. And if I was trying to, report that out, I would say, well, how much does movement impact it, obviously? How much does pitch sequence impact it? Deception, uh, which is not just tipping, but deception is like the deception you're delivering. I think deception is the key yeah. with Hater specifically. And the, and Well, actually, you maybe we should turn the tables here. <laughs> no, I, you're, you're, I am you're, basing... I'm not being sarcastic. Doug is a, is I a am, pitcher. I am basing that off of analysis I've heard, yeah. not my own. So, good question. Because Clearly, they were talking about it on the broadcast. Todd was talking about Josh Hader... And he, he, he almost waits to throw the pitch so long that you feel like the hitter's going to step out. Mm -hmm. Then he just goes into this really quick motion. But I'm sorry. Jacob DeGrom's coming off a Cy Young season and is throwing as hard as ever. The stuff looks nastier than ever. It still does not make sense. Oh, you're having a phone, uh, a phone call happen. Do you need to take this? Nah. Okay. I'll return it. I, 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 I forgot to silence it. I got a new ringtone, though, courtesy of you. Yeah, go on. Welcome. I have a very relaxing text ringtone. You can hit me up on Twitter if you want a recommendation. Um, Degrom still getting hit that hard does not make sense to me. Yeah, it does. It doesn't. So eventually, I feel like it'll it'll uh, plateau. Uh, Babip three eight nine. That shows he's been a little unlucky, uh, which supports your point. I don't think that. Um, I don't know. It's with both of these guys. It's the same thing that the statistical cases for them are more positive than. than you really think they're the both in, the, in a similar place right now? 
in many ways not. But what I'm saying is the dynamic of their predictive stats, the fan graphs profiles right. say that they're going to improve. And our eyes tell us that they're they're troubling right now. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I think Degrom's got a better chance. I understand Syndergaard, the there. I, I think Degrom's got a better chance of Syndergaard to work his way out of it because he has already proven himself to be a guy who has an elite ability to just pitch, uh, whatever the, whatever he's but doing. But do you? I, I don't think I got your take on on. Do you agree or disagree with the fact that with Syndergaard, it's borderline moving in the trend direction? Uh. Well, yeah, if you look at the fact that he hasn't been – I know we just went through his numbers, but he ha- to me, 2016 was the last time you could say, like, this guy's about to become one of the top five guys in baseball. He hasn't been able to stay on the field enough, and this year he's on the field and he's ineffective. So I'm not willing to call it a trend that's going to be lasting necessarily. Uh-huh. Uh, but, look, we've talked about this before, but there was a reason why he was the only guy in the Mets rotation that was – eminently available for a trade this offseason. Right. He was the one that they were willing to move. All right, so the last... They weren't, like, needing to move him. They didn't find the right deal, so they held him. But, you know, they, they, that was... He was the guy. There was never a whiff of trading to Grom. You know, it's funny. I'm, I'm looking back at, at last year, and, you know, the last couple months of the year, he was inconsistent, but still pretty good. And I... I don't know. Yeah, when why. he came back, he was pretty good. Yeah. No, he, actually, he 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 finished strong last finished year. Finished strong. Two starts at the end of the year, six innings shutout baseball, and then nine inning uh, complete game shutout. So I think that's, the that's, issue with him more was like, show you can stay on the field. At the beginning of the year, before he had the finger injury and then the cocksacky disease, right. he um, was a little. He was throwing too many strikes. He wasn't aggressive enough. He wasn't throwing inside enough. He just his whole style was off. Um, but he was better at the end of the year. He's a really good pitcher. He's a really talented pitcher, really obviously. Is. That's and, what's, uh, again, it's a little bit confusing. But but there was a certain thought in the Mets front office that said, if we trade this guy now, we can get something and then acquire another pitcher to approximate his production. That was a thought. 3.9 ERA before those two starts to end the year against Atlanta and Miami. Mm-hmm. He was an ERA under four for most of August and September. That's, that's not that bad still. Still, as you're saying, as we've said on multiple shows, it led the Mets to the evaluation that he was potentially expendable. Yes. So, um, what'd you do on Saturday night? Oh, um, I didn't dance. So I got not. I don't. I got. I, I stuffed steel wool and some holes because that's where I thought the mice you, were coming in. Were you doing like? Were you like imprisoned for the weekend? <laughs> no. Is there like a prison guard making you do that? <laughs> no. It sounds like forced labor. Well, it was, but but it was my lovely wife who was forcing the labor on me. Okay. Um, because that's what you're supposed to do when you have mice. Is you. We, we pull, oh, we're I, back to the mice. Okay. I, well, yeah, I pulled the fridge out of, from behind the wall, and I, we found out that they were coming from behind the fridge. That's where all the droppings were. And I put steel wool in every crevice. We have wood floors, as you know. You've been in that kitchen. So there's some gaps and getting in there. Yeah. I also went to the— Very, very Don Draper fixing the sink, you know? Not as—I'm not, not as, as cool. sexy. Boy, this guy really wants to talk to me, but we're still going to hold it. Okay. Um— I will just go ahead with my Saturday night. I went to a wedding shower. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, a wedding shower. 
Yeah, so not a bridal shower because the groom and his family are there. And it was and it was the, it was multi gender and her family are there. Yes, two genders represented or more? Two genders re fully represented. Okay, was it fun? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, good story. Yeah, thanks. Um, steel wool and uh, wedding showers. A couple of lame that's, that's baseball. That's what we do. Uh, thanks for listening. Here. As always, watch everybody. baseball. I'm sure you. No, you didn't. You were at a thing. No, I watched. Hey, did you go to the comedy club last week? You were one no. night. You were debating. No, I didn't. This is how responsible you watch baseball night in New York. Uh, by you, the way, I I watched baseball in the wet, after the wedding shower. I left yeah, the wedding shower at wanna, nine. The Mets game was in like the third inning. I want to tell our listeners. Okay. You obviously turn on the TV and you think, "Who's this professional haircut? And what does he know?" Exactly. But he's Doug's like watching almost every pitch of every New York baseball game. And it's a model for what we should all do. There are times when I'm going, eh, screw it, I'm you know, doing whatever, and then I think, well, Doug's watching, so I, 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 I will turn on. Well, in fairness to me, and I'm not, I know you're praising me, but also. I am, yeah. Um, <laughs> Wait a minute. I, I don't have uh, a wife and kids. So like, there will be a time where it's a little more difficult for me to justify spending my Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever, uh, just sitting on my couch watching. You just baseball. close the door and you say, "Shut up, Daddy's working." That is sarcasm, like so much of your sarcasm that people think is will think is not sarcasm. It's not sarcasm. Oh boy, just digging yourself deeper. The truth is, will set me free. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, sorry to confuse you all there at the end. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next week.